<clears throat> nobody. 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 Nobody rage short stories. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Megan. And you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories, where we do short stories. Yay! So this is episode two of season three, and you can find all of our previous episodes on our website, nobodyreadsshortstories.com. Tonight we have a sci-fi story by the author Kayla Demer. And uh, just to give everyone a heads up, this story does contain sexual and violent situations. So if that's not your jam, feel free to uh, catch us on the next one. The Holden Army, a short story from the Sassucht series by Kayla Demer. Mandarian year 2456. Draken entered the training grounds at the command training center on the Tarula outpost with a heavy heart. The final exam to become an officer in the Holden Army loomed, and instead of being focused, he got all kinds of distractions. By night, his recurring nightmare plagued his sleep, and by day, Zamal's sight tormented his loins. His mind told him only the exam mattered, but his body thought otherwise, craving for her female friend. While at 16, most of his companions, including her, had reached their sexual maturity, he still hadn't, not until now. Cadets and students all over the Mandarian Holden went through the process naturally, mating with each other when the time came. His sudden sexual desire for Zamal meant trouble, but he had no time for growing up and giving in to his worst feral instincts. However, asking for a hormonal suppressant would only give him reprimanded. Meal break arrived in a blur between sparring sessions, digging fences, defending and attacking structures and different setups, finding him in a moment of peace with himself. And the routine respite in the mess hall calmed his spirit even more, although he knew that peace wouldn't last long. Draken's voice blended with those of all the Holden Military Academy cadets. I, Draken Cosette, citizen of the Mandarian Holden, do hereby take the oath of allegiance and solemnly vow to be brave, disciplined, and vigilant fighter, to guard strictly all military and Holden secrets, to obey without question all army regulations and orders of my superiors. I pledge to study the duties of a soldier conscientiously and to safeguard the Holden. I fully swear to protect the Holden obediently, skillfully, and honorably without sparing my blood and my very life to achieve complete victory over the enemy. And if through evil intent I break this solemn oath, then let the stern punishment of Mandarian law fall upon me. Hundreds of voices spoke as one, stirring his spirit every time Draken repeated the ritual thrice a day before his meals, every day for the last 13 years. At the end of the litany, as they all sat down in unison, silence fell in the mess hall, broken only by the sound of cutlery on the plates. One by one, students whispered to each other until all the voices joined the buzz. I know when the final test will take place, Darren the sturdy green-scaled Mandarian sitting next to Draken whispered to no one in particular. Said who? Asked Samal, sitting in front of him. Her golden facial scales gleamed with captivating shades under the artificial lights. Her auburn hair was plaited into a complicated twist, giving an attractive highlight to her pronounced eye ridges. The tight black uniform displayed the slick movement of her muscles. Draken's pulse quickened. Draken, Darren nudged his elbow. Darren and Zamal were the closest things he had to friends. But in the last two days, they both were getting under his scales. And now the turmoil inside his body disturbed him. Distracted by Zamal's sultry beauty, he didn't hear Darren's words. He spun around snarling, what? The woman groaned. You weren't paying attention. He turned his focus to the plate and grunted. I'm eating. I know when the final test will take place, Darren repeated. 
So when is it, according to your source? He asked, trying to get away from his worries and shut up Darren. Whoa, now he wants to know, his friend replied, pursing his lips. In six days, and it's going to be tough. Draken leered at Samal for a millisecond, then lowered his eyes to his plate. We already knew it would be tough. The main course, a bothai stew with amok sauce, tasted like stale bread. But Draken was used to that. As part of their training, they had to get used to terrible food. Field rations didn't taste any better after all. Draken finished the stew and attacked the dessert, thankful for the same bad flavor because it gave him something other than Zamal to think about. He kept his eyes on the plate. Perhaps if he ignored her, the lust exploding down his loins would go away. The black squads will examine us. I know that for sure, Darren said. Draken wanted to leave the remainder of his meal, but he couldn't. As a cadet, they would punish him for being weak. Mandarians believed that leaving uneaten food led to smaller and weaker bodies, not to mention they considered it rude in civilian culture. In a world where there was never enough food, leftovers didn't exist. Suppressing an urge to vomit, he said, I wouldn't expect any less. I'll be training at the gym until curfew, Darren said, standing and picking up his tray. We'll meet you there as soon as I'm done here, Samal replied. A quick glance at her plate revealed it was empty. As students left to complete their daily tasks, all he could think of was Samal's body. Draken's scoring quivered. Can she perceive my arousal? Why is she staying? His mind imagined their bloody bodies intertwined. Darren walked away, leaving Draken deep in his thoughts and lost in his carnal fantasies. A slick movement distracted him from his lustful thinking as Zamal's left hand clutched his right one. Boosting his blood pressure, he glued his eyes to the well-hidden cleavage, his heart exploding into his ribcage. Zamal's swift right hand movement woke Draken from the spell as a pocket knife appeared out of nowhere. He yanked his hand free, just in time to avoid the blade cutting through it from side to side. Tiny drops of blood fell onto the table from the minor cut on his thumb. Glaring, he gave her an aggressive nod as a sign of acceptance of her sexual challenge, a promise of pleasure and pain. After hurriedly tidying away their empty trays, Draken followed her down the corridor to the training barracks, which included hollow rooms with thousands of different settings for the cadet's training. They also had the benefit of being private and perfect to get through their primal mating rituals and become of age when the time came. Samal's hips swayed left and right, right and left, in a rhythmic, supple movement that made him want to either tear her head off or pound her, or both. When they entered an available hollow room, Samal changed the environment with the verbal command. A hot outdoor desert with flat black sand replaced the hollow net. The woman's wild beauty stood out even more with her hands on her gorgeous hips against the flat barren land. He tilted his head to one side, leered at the clean lines of her body. It screamed strength and it made the blood burn in his veins. He dropped into a fighting stance, arms gathered close to his chest, fists clenched, while she circled him with careful steps, Draken didn't move, but paid careful attention to the soft sounds of her boots on the sand while she moved out of his peripheral vision. When she appeared again, the gap between them had shortened. She lunged for his collar. He spun, sweeping her leg out, expecting to see her drop to the sand. However, she surprised him by diving. He hit nothing there. They grinned at each other. Nice move for a girl like you. A flurry of punches rained at his head. Draken caged his arms to protect it, but Zamal switched to his torso, landing several blows to his ribcage. With a swift move, he grabbed her head and lifted his knee, striking her face. A solid crunch confirmed his hit connected with flesh and bone. Zamal grunted and stepped back. She wiped her right eyebrow ridge with her sleeve and cracked her knuckles before taking a combat crouch again. Somewhere in their foreplay, her collar had been torn. Draken admired her cleavage, showing the top curve of one suggestive scaly breast. Soon this ritual would be over. He would prove his dominance and she would gleefully submit to him. 
She spat to one side and took a long, slow gaze at him. If you think I'm just going to lie down and spread my legs for you, think again. Nice to know you're considering it, he replied, grinning. A quick intake of her breath suggested another wave of punches. He dived first. She stumbled and lost her balance. Taking advantage of her unsteadiness, he reached for her throat, getting behind her in a forced chokehold. He kicked the back of her knees, forcing her down. Surrender your mind. She wiggled in a feeble pretense of resistance. Is that all you have, Draken Cosette? She panted. He grinned, keeping his firm grip on her neck and kneeled down, leaning over her to whisper in her ear. I could kill you with my bare hands. Her wiggle subsided. He let go of her throat to grab her chin and turn her head to him. Her dilated pupils showed him all he needed to know. She didn't want to stop. Her desire burned in those fiery forest green eyes. You talk too much. The buckle of her uniform fell on the floor with a thud. The next six days flew away between the daily routine, personal hygiene, theoretical studies, and classes of historical battles. Successful defenses, exobiology, exopsychology, and strategy, alternating with days in the field. The nights, though, his nocturnal encounters with his lover, Samal, became an entirely different kind of blur. Draken's mind lingered on her golden scaly limbs entwined with his red and orange-hued ones. His heart palpitated as he lay in bed, his muscles sore from the previous encounter with her. With a quick glance at his wristband, he acknowledged the time, 0300. The scheduled sleep cycle would end in three hours. He had slept only three, but the recurring nightmare that had plagued him since childhood had woken him up. No way he could sleep again that night. Today we have the last test. After cleaning the room, he left his cell to take a walk outside and clear his mind for the challenges. He crossed the quadrangle and stopped to drink from the communal water fountain, admiring the heavens. No moonlight obscured the night sky. Both Tarula's moons must have set. Sunneth, Mandare, prime star, distant light years away, glowed, while Narhatat, the scout constellation used by their long-gone ancestors to find true south, shone brightest. Narhatat system and its green habitable planets Agnar 1, 2, and 3 were part of the Holden 2. His wrist comms vibrated, alerting him of an incoming recorded message. He sat down on a bench and checked the sender's name. Rotima, his fiance. She was older than him. A stunning brown-scaled specimen of Mandarian female promised to him when he was just three and she was five. Her round figure with generous breasts and sides guaranteed fertility. And Draken looked forward to having a large family with her. But aside from that common desire in the Mandarian population, he didn't see her as an excellent partner. Even though he hadn't mated with her yet, her demeanor was too meek in his opinion. Zamal instead burned like a fire. And that was a scary thought. My dearest husband-to-be, you are in my thoughts continuously. I know your exam is chiming, and I have faith in your success. I can't imagine another Mandarian more suited than you for leadership and for me. Ever yours. Draken trusted that Rodema has sent the message audio only out of courtesy and not out of passion. Her interest lay in having him promoted to an officer. Being married to one opened more doors than being married to a simple soldier. The day of their engagement before he left for military school, her emerald green eyes had shone like iridescent zircons. Still, they didn't compare with Zamal's. The shadow approached from his left. You never lose the habit of sleeping for a couple of hours per night, Zamal said, interrupting his train of thought. <laughs> your stealth classes are working, but I saw your shadow approaching. He turned to gaze at her with smoldering eyes. She walked in front of him standing with squared shoulders and shrugged in response. Her moving chest attracted his attention. Could he order her into his cell for some mutual relief? 
he wanted to, but he was supposed to focus on the exam. In battle, there will be a time for sleep. He stood and closed the distance between them with two strides. What are you doing out so early? I'm nervous, she replied, looking up at him with dilated pupils. Zamal's open confession of weakness mixed with their lust and the sense of duty unsettled him. I need a distraction. She challenged him with a lascivious gaze. Draken licked his lips, anticipating a chance to bone her. However, he didn't want to lose his focus on the exam for which he had been training his entire life. After the exam, Zamal gritted her teeth and growled. She didn't appreciate being denied what she craved, but he enjoyed her reaction and the probability of the joining they would have after the exam. After leaving the mess hall, Draken and 49 classmates sat in the classroom. By the feel of the electricity in the air, he wasn't the only one expecting and dreading this moment from the start. No one would admit their fear, and Draken despised himself for being so weak. But as his father always told him, a coward is not the one who is afraid. It's what we do about the fear that makes the difference. Was he a coward? He never faced his worst fear. He gritted his teeth, shooing away that idea with annoyance. The male instructor entered the classroom. They stood and straightened their left arms above their heads and screamed, for the Halden. Then they sat back. The instructor paced in silence, boosting the tension. Collecting information is an art that follows scientific rules, he said, pausing his stride and taking his time to stare each of them down before moving on. Today, you'll learn what that means. Before you can become a collector yourselves, you must understand what it feels like to be broken. And trust me, they will break you eventually. A murmur passed through those present in an electric moment of apprehension and excitement. One more test. Once I pass, my candidacy as an officer is assured. Draken had endured years of training in prep school and in the last few years experienced command in all kinds of situations. He had never failed his missions. Nothing would stop him from getting the prestige and the honor of command. He was born to lead. You all understand the rules of behavior during questioning, the instructor continued, pacing again to one side of the room to fix a student with a stern look. Draken, are you afraid? Samal whispered to him. He stiffened. Admitting his fear? No, never. They will weaken you physically and attack your psychology. The test will last as long as the collectors still enjoy playing with you, or as long as you don't fail. It's like a game of polika to them, the instructor said. I'm interested in your reactions because the result of this test will make you a superb leader or a dead recruit. Don't fail me. A superb leader or a dead recruit. Draken didn't intend to die. Failure wasn't part of his plan. Five men clad in black, wearing a black balaclava and dark goggles over their eyes, entered the room and ordered them out. One led them to a basement. The, dark, the door closed behind the last student to enter. No one spoke. They barely breathed. A group of students with Samal among them sat down. How could they show so much slack during their last exam, no less? He stood there, keeping his senses on high alert, expecting anything. When a deafening sound trumpeted, mauling Draken's ears, he plugged them with his hands, but that didn't stop the piercing sound from hurting his eardrums. Then he smelled it, the sweet scent of a Corollis flower, the psychotropic substance expected from the Extracted from the pistol was also a powerful sleeping drug. Before Draken knew it, he lost consciousness. He woke as something solid connected with his stomach. He opened his eyes and grabbed the object, a steel-toed boot, sending its black-clad owner to the floor. His eyes swam as he jumped to his feet and tried to take in the new surroundings. A gray room much smaller than the one he was in before. No furniture or windows gave way where they were, or what time of day it was. Just nine lights on the ceiling and a door to the left. He gazed at the figure lying down, 
The curves on the body betrayed her gender. A noise behind his back distracted him from his lusting thoughts on the lying prey. He spun around. Three broad-shouldered, thick figures surrounded him in a semicircle, holding wooden clubs. Three men and a woman. Draken moved away from the woman, monitoring the other three who followed him. All three attacked in unison. The drug had slowed his reflexes more than he thought when he decked the woman. A bat struck a blow to his right knee, sending him down. Two men grabbed him and forced him onto his stomach, injecting him with something that knocked him out again. When Draken came around, he lay naked on the floor, hands bound in front of him with a tight cutting rope and a blindfold over his head. A cold liquid wet his face and he instinctively licked it. Blood. Was it his own? He couldn't tell. Dizziness messed with his head. Was he still on drugs or had they beat him so badly? While he tried to get a grip on himself, the temperature of the room dropped. Draken shivered, but at least the reeling decreased. Silence surrounded him. The only noise breaking it was his breath. When he held it, he detected four distinct breathing patterns in the room. The same people he had met before, or perhaps someone else. It didn't matter. His task now was to withstand the pain, the humiliations, the cold, the insults, the beating, and everything they could throw at him. The scent of one of them unmistakably identified it as a female. Your lack of stamina is disappointing. Rotima deserves more, the woman said. She wanted to get under his scales, but insulting his manhood now was the worst mistake she could make. Zamal lusted after him, and Rotima would be his wife after graduation. No doubt he wouldn't disappoint his bride with his performance. Two hands grabbed him by the armpits and dragged him to a wall. Stand and stretch your arms above your head. Spit splattered on his blindfold as a man's voice yelled the words. Draken complied. Your mate? What was her name? <laughs> yes, Sama Dortel. She confessed you didn't impress her when she tried me. The same man said. Draken clenched his jaws but didn't reply. Samal's sexual maturation had happened months before. Of course she had made it with others before him. But after? It was possible as she was a collector and not a student. Either way, her physical reactions to him hadn't been fake. She craved him as much as he did her. After a lifetime spent standing in the cold in the same position, his limbs hurt. Every time he tried to move to ease the pain, they hit him with a club and yelled at him to hold his position. An uncertain number of ribs broke in the process, making the act of breathing agony. But holding his breath didn't help either. The pummeling went on until he's lost consciousness. Isn't it cold in here, soldier? The woman asked when he awoke from the torpor of the beating. He sat leaning against the wall. His spread legs stretched at his hands on his lap, still tied with the same cutting rope. I'm definitely cold. Why don't we light up a fire? She insisted, chuckling. Draken stiffened. Of course they wanted to play with the sensitivity to cold. But did they know about his fear of fire? The men laughed. With a blindfold, he couldn't see the light, but the heat increased and the crackling noise deafened him. His body shook and fell down memory lane in a whirl of colors. An echo of laughter hung in the air. Jokes told, company enjoyed. He sat in a hover with his father, Podman Kuset, his three-year-old brother, his aunt and his uncle, Podman's brother. Excitement for his brother's acceptance to the military school filled the air. Outside, the daylight faded as they traveled through a dark road lit only by highlights of the hover car. The roar of the engine silenced laughter as a powerful sensation at Draken's stomach took away his breath. G-Force gripped him, but sturdy adult hands wrapped around him and his brother. Draken squeezed his eyes shut. Gravity shifted and changed, accompanied by the appalling scream of his brother. Sickening crunches reached his ears as the hover rolled several times. The bumps tore him from the protective grasp. He flew through the air to strike something hard. When he came around, thick smoke filled the shattered cabin. 
making his cough. The once familiar shapes looked like black smudges, something wet and heavy pressed against his legs. The comforting lights of the hover no longer worked, and the darkness swallowed the sense of merriment. A noise to the left attracted his attention, but he couldn't move. However, he spotted the flames, reflections, and a piece of metal. The heat increased as the light pierced the darkness. The black smears turned red, and the noxious smell of burning blood assaulted his nostrils. He tried to move, but he couldn't untangle himself from whatever weighed down his legs. Smoldering flames licked at them. Just when he thought he was doomed, powerful hands reached through the shattered window for him. They pulled him into the blessed cool air of the night. Two bodies lay inside the hover. Draken recognized his aunt. Her head turned at an impossible angle. He screamed and screamed again until a bat smashed his side. Stop screaming, Crowla face. A man's voice barked into his ears. Darkness wrapped around him. He dreamt again the reoccurring nightmare of the night he lost most of his family in the Hover accident. Are you afraid of fire, Corolla Face? The woman asked, waking him again. Yes, I'm afraid, but I'll never admit that, Bothai. He spat. Then something hard hit his head, sending him into oblivion again. He woke up to the foul odor of puke, blood perspiration, and excrement. Still blindfolded, he couldn't see, but he perceived the heat of the torch swinging in front of him, never too close to burn him, but enough to make him scream again, and again, and again. After being dismissed from the hospital, Draken didn't return to his barracks but went straight to the instructor's office as ordered. His left leg still needed healing, but he forced himself to walk straight despite the pain. It didn't matter. All he cared about was his promotion. But would he get it? He had lost his self-control during the exam. Fire had beaten him. He didn't meet a soul, reminding himself that most students had already left the school premises promoted or dismissed to other jobs. He walked the empty corridors with a heavy heart. The ghost of dismissal from command duty haunted him. His boots beat the time towards an inexorable doom. The sparsely furnished room of the instructor sported a desk and two chairs, one across from the other. The instructor sat at his. Draken stood at attention and saluted. A black bag with his name on it lay on the other's chair. A simple message about the results of the exam. Fire beat me. He lost the battle. He would never be an officer. Dismissed from school. But he could still be a soldier. As you were, the instructor said. He stood at ease. As you may imagine, you didn't pass the final exam. For this reason, you are dismissed from active duty. Dismissed from active duty. The words played over and over inside his head. They expelled him from the military, condemning him, his family, and Rotima to a life of dishonor and poverty for the rest of their lives. All because he feared fire. Years and years of learning how to lead, wasted because he had never faced this fear before. Being afraid doesn't show cowardice. It's what we do about it that makes the difference. His father's words almost echoed the instructors. His eyes gazed at him in silence, spacing from head to toe with a smirk of disgust. Here's your discharge letter, he said, handing him a tablet. Draken grabbed it and gazed down at the text without seeing it. Yes, sir. The instructor stood and turned his back to him, watching outside. I must admit, I'm disappointed in you, citizen Draken Cosette. The word citizen cut through him like the sharpest of knives. Only non-military personnel were addressed that way in the Holden. Draken couldn't believe they dismissed him like that. 
Yes, sir. Get out of my office! He clutched his bag to leave, as if carrying the weight of the entire Holden inside it. On the way to the primary gate, Drake is stopped by the training barracks. Unexpectedly, Small left the premise at the same time, meeting him in front of the communal fountain. Had she been waiting for him? She sported a brand new brown uniform. No pin shown on the collar yet, but the clothes themselves explained. She had passed the exam. She has, but I haven't. She eyed his bag, then gazed up at him, amazed. What will you do? Get married, as planned, he replied, tasting bile. His career was over. His life would be a struggle from now. But he squared his shoulders and stood tall. No way he would show his emotions to anyone, especially to Zamal. She nodded, gazing one last time at him before saying, Goodbye, Draken. She turned on her heels and swayed her hips as the last remnant of everything he had lost. The end. Yay. Good job, Woo! Jeremy. That was fun. What a great read. Thank you. Well, Megan, I had the best co-star and it happened oh, to be you. I was, I was there for support. Yes. But, well, yeah, yeah, that's what a supporter does <laughs> is support. So um, before we get started, um, we are going to, Jeremy and I are going to have a little cranky talk. Talk. So let's set the clock so we don't jabber on for too long. Oh, we love doing that. We love, we have to set timers for ourselves. We um, sure do. And we're always excited when Cranky forgets to crank himself. Oh, yeah. And then we can just babble on forever and ever. Megan, so like, I want to, so I'm going to randomly throw something at you. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, she's not even nervous. I want to make you nervous. <laughs> okay, so Megan, uh, how has this piece, because we've heard it so many times, and I know we love it, but like, how has it changed from the first time you read it to this, the last? Like, have you had any like moments? Oh yeah, every time I hear this story or read this story, I feel like I, I get a little more into how rich this world is. Um, this is a story that comes from a whole universe that Kayla has created, uh, this Sunshut series and the Holden army. It's it's very complex and this character, Draken, is in this story, is it's sort of, this is like sort of his origin story or his backstory and then he's going to appear later in her series and and every time I every time I hear this story I'm like oh man this world is so rich like there's little things that I pick up about um these these people these inhabitants this world like this last reading that we just did I it really sunk in for me that these cadets have been training for 13 years they're 16 and they've just, and I knew that because I'd read the story, but it really came home for me in this reading, like, wow, this is like, this is really is a, a seminal moment for them. And then it just makes that punch at the end. So heartbreaking for Draken because like, what is his life going to look like after this? Since he's been training since he was three, he doesn't know anything else. And I think that's one of the, the testaments to Kayla's uh, writing abilities is just that she can give us so much of that richness of this world in in so few pages and so few words. You hear that, Kayla? We are demanding you submit something <laughs> else to us because we love you. And so when you wake up and see this, by the way, she's like from Italy, so she's sleeping right now. But Kayla, when you wake up and you see this, you make sure you submit something else to us. And Megan, I completely agree. Um, when we When we look at submissions for the show, you just know sometimes, like the writing's just good. Mm -hmm. But like, even though I knew, I was like, dude, this writing's so solid. I wanna finish the story all the way through. I was really riveted. It, it didn't sink in, like the emotional depth of the story didn't sink in. You know something's good, but then like when you read it over and over again, something happens. And this this has become one of my favorite stories. Just. Mm -hmm just the emotional depth that she's captured, the details that she has in there that show up when you hear it again, you know, and you, when you read oh, it again. Yeah. And 
interesting tidbit. I don't, do we talk about this in the episode, Megan, our pre-recorded episode uh, interview? Where we, um, where, where Kayla had the alter, alternative, alternative ending. Did we discuss that at all in the interview? Um, I think we do discuss that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Kayla is an Italian author. She lives in Italy. And so she's um, sound asleep, dreaming wonderful dreams. <laughs> she better be dreaming wonderful dreams. Hopefully not of Draken and the Holden army, but- Oh no, no um, fire, no fire. <laughs> No fire and violence in, in, in her in her beautiful dreams. I hope she's having wonderful writer dreams at the moment. So because of the time difference, uh, we did pre-record Kayla's interview. So before we get into that, I just want to give you a little information about Kayla. So as we mentioned, Kayla is an Italian writer. She um, English is not her first language. However, she writes in English, which is amazing. Slays. Um, it's like so cu extra kudos for that. So uh, Kayla says, Kayla DeMere is the pen name of an Italian author. During the day, she's a temp accountant. At night, she has her way with words, writing grim, dark science fiction. And as we mentioned before, this is a story from the Sinshut series. And uh, she has a book called The Parallels, which is also of the same world. So if you like what you hear, heard tonight, make sure that you, you check out her book. Um, so without further ado, here's, uh, let's talk with Kayla. So Kayla, have you always been a sci-fi writer? Like where, what were you doing before you were doing, being a sci-fi writer? <laughs> well, uh, in, in my, uh, day, uh, my day job is a, as an accountant. So there's nothing <laughs> to do uh, with science fiction. There are numbers, but <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Um, I, I love that. So what got you into going from being an accountant to being like, I'm going to write something amazing in sci-fi? Well, I, I always wanted to write. Uh, even when I was a child, uh, I, I always used to write stories. Well, they, they, they weren't written in a professional way. They were in Italian, of course. <laughs> I didn't speak English at the time uh, or not, not like I do now. And uh, I think my first story was a romance, uh, something I really don't fancy right now. <laughs> I'm not reading it. Uh, but uh, the first books I, I read as a, as a child were, uh, after fairy tales, were romance stories. Mm. Uh, because that, that's what uh, I found here at home. Mm. Uh, my sister read uh, uh, these love stories. I found those and just went through them. So you just uh, wanted to read. You're like, I just want to read. I'm going to read whatever I, <laughs> I put my hands on. Exactly. Exactly. And then I started, I started writing uh, the, the same kind of stories, of course. Um, after that, I moved to science fiction, which I discovered by chance. Um, I remember uh, there was uh, this assignment we had uh, in school. Uh, it was probably uh, eighth grade or something like that. And um, they, they told us uh, uh, to read two books uh, in summer and then write uh, uh, an essay about them. And uh, they assigned us one book and the other one we could choose. And I found uh, this uh, science fiction book. Uh, I don't even remember where or how. Uh, and it, it was it wasn't famous or something, uh, just a story. But I fell in love with it, and so I started reading uh, the same kind of stories. Uh, today we will call them uh, science fantasy. Uh, I dived into the Dark Over uh, saga uh, by Marion Zimmer Bradley, and I still love it. Love it. Uh, but it, it's more fantasy than science fiction because there's a lot of magic involved in that saga. Kayla, Kayla one of the one things, of the things that, that I thought was that so was amazing so about your piece was that, is that it is sci-fi, but it has it like has a sci-fi realism to it. Like I really appreciated the realistic elements. I actually felt like I was 
tuning in to a live interaction between two lizard people. Yeah. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. Yeah, I would definitely second that. You know, we we read a lot of, we've read a lot of sci-fi and we have, um, you, you know, experience with sci-fi. And one of the things that I really loved about this story was how easily accessible the science fiction is. Like you get us up to speed with the world. Like I feel immediately like, I know this world, I know these characters, I know like everything I need to know to just run with it instead of like getting bogged down with a lot of world building, you build the world as we go along and it's just so natural and it feels so like smooth. And I'm, I just, I just really think that that that's an testament to um, your, your ability as a writer, because it's a, it's not an easy thing to do. So, so um, congratulations on that. Thank you. And your prose, like when we found out that you were from Italy, I was like, "That's the, that, does she, is she sure she's from Italy? Because the writing is just so stellar. It's so good. Well, of course, I hired, uh, hired uh, an editor, uh, a British <laughs> editor, to, to fix uh, the, the grammar and the structure. Uh, so, uh, but... I mean, everyone should should hire editors. Oh, everyone should have an editor. <laughs> it's not I, because I'm Italian. No, I, no, no, Kayla. I, I just Italian. I would do the same. Totally. I actually just uh, had a meeting with my editor yesterday, yeah. and I'm so thankful I have her because she makes me sound better for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they do. They sure do. Um, so, do you? Do you write uh, your stories in Italian and then translate them into English, or do you write them in English? No, I, I write them in English. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't be asshole to write in Italian. Not science fiction. <laughs> no one will read science fiction. I, I have my friends telling me, why don't you just translate your books? And then I know that they don't buy books. They don't buy science fiction books. So why, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. It's not a, a market that is... Mm, is trending here, mm-hmm. not really. There, it's just a niche, uh, niche, niche, niche. niche market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's so interesting. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about kind of what was the inspiration for this story, or what um, you know, what kind of sparked this idea? Uh, well, I, I wrote this story after writing uh, book one. And publishing it, uh, and uh, I started to think that I wanted to introduce the readers to my world with something short. Um, and I actually wrote uh, like twelve short stories. Uh, they are not published yet. This is only the first one, and they go chronologically from uh, the time of the Alden to the present times, like forty-eight years later. The, the first book uh, takes place 30 years later. So um, the inspiration, I, I, I don't know what, what exactly inspired it. Uh, probably the character, because uh, while he's not in book one, it's just uh, mentioned uh, in book one, uh, he's going to be a relevant uh, character in the whole saga. Mm. Uh, and so I wanted uh, to give give him a spotlight uh, and introduce him uh, before book one. I mean, it, this should be uh, the first uh, story a reader uh, comes across uh, before reading the saga. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't happen that way all the times, but uh, that is my intention. I mean, it, it's my hope. Uh, so it's the inspiration. It's mainly due to the to the character and trying trying to give him uh, a background, uh, an explanation for his uh, pyrophobia, because he's going to uh, to deal with it uh, only forty years after this oh, story. Wow. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, to give more depth, more. Uh, more depth to this character. Yeah. 
I, lo I love that. I mean, uh, one of the things that um, I was just saying to Jeremy earlier was um, like, I, I like the the way that this story ends because it it makes me feel like what is I asked the question, like, what is going to happen to this to this person? Like, what is he what kind of man is he going to grow up to be? Like, what is his going to be his influence on this world? And um, it seems like from your books that we do get a little bit of a sense of that. And I love the idea of um, being able to get a little bit of background on and sub in context for these main characters that come across in your later books or, or side characters um, for, for why they are the way that they are and why they act that way so it's it just it just adds such like a a richness to this world like i already feel the richness of this world even just from reading this short story good <laughs> thank you yeah. yeah i had a experience that this kind of reminded me of and it's nothing like this but like just the feeling um like one of my first jobs like i had a a manager that told me that he was going to demote me or I could just leave the job. And it was, it was so brutal. It was so harsh and there was no upside to it. And I feel like a lot of stories, most stories don't have that because you want to uplift the listener, the, the reader. And I just really appreciated that this story ended like some things do in real life where there's doesn't seem like there's any hope. I'm glad that there is for the character. We know that he's going to approaches fears years and years down the line, but I really appreciated how real that felt. And it doesn't feel good. It's not a nice ending. And, and that's what I like about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason I, I changed the ending was exactly this uh, lack of hope. Uh, some people suggested that the reader w would prefer a story with uh, some hope left. So uh, for the listeners, because they, they weren't in this conversation, so I'll, I'll catch them up. Kayla actually submitted two versions of the story. And then one of the, the, the one that uh, we're choosing was the darker side, but Kayla had a more uplifting version she sent us as well. Yes, and we preferred the, the original version, uh, which is what, what you heard today. Okay. Um, uh, Kayla, could you tell us a little bit about um, like what was the like was there a, a moment that was challenging for you to write or like what was the most challenging part of writing this story do you think? This story uh, <laughs> well <laughs> the most challenging was uh, researches about torture <laughs> that, that, that was really <sighs> devastating. <laughs> oh I bet. Uh, I had to read some really crappy things because human beings can be crappy and awful, really. Uh, I mean, uh, I can read uh, uh, fiction with uh, torture and violence. I, I don't care. I know it's fiction. I, I can even watch movies or, or uh, series. I don't care. I know it, it's not happening to someone. But when you read non-fiction books about torture, uh, that's a, another level of ugliness. Totally another level. Mm, yeah, I I think that's a really good point, and I know I've come across that some um, in my own writing is when we write when we have certain scenes or or we're writing about something that we don't already have that intellectual knowledge about and we have to do research. Sometimes that research is not always pleasant. I was writing a, a story about um, that had like a lot of like witchcraft elements to it or um, like, mm. you know, satanic worship. And I had to do the this research on it and it like really put me in a very like dark mood and, and, and was really unpleasant. And I and I remember thinking like, oh, do I really want to write this story because I don't want to have to continue to do this research. <laughs> so um, I think that is a, a challenge as a writer when you're when you're doing your due diligence to write the story with as much um, honesty and truth 
as you possibly can, it can sometimes affect you very much uh, psychically, um, just because you're having to to delve into that to that subject. Um, so, so thank you for for mentioning that. That I think that's a an interesting point as a writer, just kind of what we have to put ourselves through sometimes. It is hard. It's hard. And wonderful for you that you decided I want to actually research this. I'm not just going to write it because you feel it in the pages. You, I mean, like I wasn't like. I wasn't like this, I didn't pop up in my head, but I knew that it felt real in my head as well. You know, like when I was reading it, mm -hmm. um, there's like a realism to it that you feel. Yeah, thank you. But it, it, it was a hard research, really tough. Yeah, oh, I, I needed it. I mean, there are other uh, scenes in, in the books where I'll need uh, I, that, that kind of knowledge. The, I, most of my stories are not really uh, with a happy ending. Or, <laughs> or so. Well, Kayla, don't let anybody pressure you against that, because <laughs> I think you have a talent for morose endings. <laughs> Grim dark. <laughs> morose yet satisfying. I would say that you know that the the endings are are satisfying and they land in a way that you know is still entertaining for sure. Agreed. Um, okay, thank you. Well, uh, Kayla, thank you so much for um, doing this interview. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Or Jeremy, do you have any other questions? No, but I wanted to say wonderful job, Kayla. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being on our show. Uh, we, we have a big time difference, right? Like for us, yeah. it's like nine in the morning. What time is it there, Kayla? Uh, it's uh, six o'clock now because we are still uh, with the winter time. Uh, Tomorrow we are going to change, so it's uh, it's only uh, eight hours difference now. It will be back to nine tomorrow. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. So listeners, when you're seeing this, Kayla is sleeping. She's not dealing with this show. She's gonna be. She's hopefully gonna be asleep. <laughs> or staying up late writing more stories. What are the other? <laughs> Kayla. Where can we find more books and everything from you? Like what books do you have out and where can we find them? Uh, right now I have out only one book, which is book one of the Zen Sukta uh, series. Um, it's entitled The Parallels and you can find it uh, at uh, every uh, retailer, uh, online retailer and uh, libraries and bookstores. Oh, wow, you got your stuff in libraries and bookstores. Kayla, yeah. that's impressive. Oh my goodness. And you can uh, find all of Kayla's information on um, on YouTube below uh, our video. Um, she also has um, a website, which is uh, Kayla Demare, which is uh, K-E-Y-L-A-D-A-M-A-E-R. Um, that's .wixsite.com backslash Kayla Demeyer. So um, please check out her work. Uh, if you liked tonight's story, I'm sure that you will enjoy her wonderful book, uh, which is the first of, of her series. So make sure you check her out. Yes, and you can download the story for free if you subscribe to my newsletter. You subscribe, everyone. Subscribe to our <laughs> newsletter. That's right. Fantastic. Yeah, make sure that you sign up for that so you can get all of Kayla's news. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kayla. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I like her. I do too. She's so lovely. She's so cool. <laughs> All right, so if you enjoyed tonight's show and you're into sci-fi, um, please make sure that you check out our other sci-fi stories that we've had on the show. From the first season, we had the wonderful Bonnie Milani story, Webs of Sisyphus. Um, and last season, there was Kat Eason's Increased Tolerance. So make sure that you check those out uh, for all of our sci-fi fans out there. Also, if you like what you're seeing on our channel, the episodes, please make sure you comment about what you liked about them. Also, let us know what genres you're wanting to see more of because we pay attention to that. Also, YouTube pays attention to that too. And we want to do really well on this. 
Yeah, so, and our authors love to hear feedback from their fans. So uh, don't be shy. Let them know what you liked. Send them a note. Um, if you'd like to reach out them to them directly, we'll be sure to pass along any information. Sign up for their web for their website notifications for their newsletters. Um, you know, we we want to support them as much as we can, and so we want uh, you as fans to to have access to them and and be able to support them individually as well as through our show. So if you haven't already, please go to our YouTube page and like and subscribe. Um, again, leave a leave a note, send us some love, send our authors love. Uh, send us a love note. Send us I haven't had one of those in ages. Yeah, we love fan mail. We love fan comments. Um, we love it. We love to hear from you. So please uh, keep those comments coming. Speaking of comments coming, <laughs> we have social media. <laughs> I know it wasn't the best of segue. I was like, I don't know where he's going with this. <laughs> And yet you're still not nervous, Megan. I, I feel like you're too acclimated to me. Somebody on this show needs to be worried about the things that come out of my mouth. Anyway, we have, we have social media. So we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you do Twitter, make sure to use our hashtag NRSS podcast. Yeah, and I know you're jonesing for it. I know you want some NRSS podcast oh, uh, merchandise. Oh, so it's it. I love it. So go to our website, nobodyreadshortstories.com. You can have one of our amazing pillows. This is a hot item, friends. It sure is. This pillow saved me a few days ago when I fell asleep on the couch. It was like, let me support your head and whisper sweet nothings into your ear. Yeah, they're like really nice pillows. They don't smell. They're soft. Literally they're nice. It was such a nice pillow to me. Like, you know, they don't itch. It's, it's like a... You know, it's like a nice little thing that you just cuddle up with. Like it's you everything. You should write commercials for pillows, and this one doesn't itch. <laughs> that should be the end of the commercial. That will sell wonders. Right? These are the things that I think about, like practical things about things before I buy them. It's like, is that going to smell? Is it going to itch? No? Okay. I'm sold. Maybe we we need a tag somewhere <laughs> on this pillow that says, no itch pillow. No, it's free, doesn't smell. I like it. Um, I like it. Oh, I like um, you today, Megan. You are cracking me up. <laughs> Yay. Oh, we got a so, like. Somebody liked us. All right. We got to be us. goofy more often. We're, yeah, we're too, likes. We're too yeah. normal. Yeah, we're way too normal. <laughs> way too normal. <laughs> we used to be the poster children for normalcy, but now we've broken out of that. <laughs> Speaking of uh, broken out, we're breaking out with our websites. And your transitions. Let's work on those. Okay. <laughs> they weren't they used to be so good. I just followed apart. So, I know. It's like listen, we got websites over here. Megan has a website and it is meganamorrison.com. She will Megan finish for me. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna take it away. I'm gonna take it away. So visit meganamorrison.com, sign up for notifications. And if you do, you don't have to listen to Jeremy anymore. You can just read about me and what's going on with my projects. However, if you want more of Jeremy just by himself with no Megan, you can check out his website at jeremyraystories.com, sign up for his newsletter. If you do that, you will get more Jeremy in your email box every single week when he sends out his newsletter with his micro stories. They're super short little stories. You can read them while you're pouring yourself a cup of coffee in the morning. So make sure that you check that out. That's not much of an incentive today. <laughs> yeah, it is more of the lovely Jeremy. Jeremy. Get... Oh boy. Um, yeah. Speaking of, Megan, uh, did you know I'm an author that has stuff on Amazon? Are you? Tell us more. Yeah, that's something I don't bring up on the show and I don't know why. It just clicked. I, I was like, wait, I'm an author. Why don't I mention that I have books on Amazon? You all, I have books on Amazon, so you should check that out. Same name. Yeah, but what are they called? They're called The Houseplant. And, and The Gatherings. I have one horror gatherings. and then I have one that is definitely not horror called The Houseplant. And that one's doing really well. That's from the perspective of a houseplant. I don't want to go too overboard on pitching, but you can check that out on Amazon. And I'm really excited about our next episode, Megan. We have our friend Robin Greenspan, and she's going to be doing a lovely piece for us. Um, 
And do we want to talk about the details of what it's going to have in the story? Um, I don't think we need to talk about the details. Why don't we just tell them the name of the story, which is She Wants a Dog, I Don't. And I think that tells you, that kind of sums up the story. And uh, please check this out next week. Like you do not want to miss Robin's reading. Like Robin is really a good. fabulous performer. And, and the story is amazing. And the story is amazing. And uh, she just really shines with her own work. And um, so make sure that you join us next week. Don't miss Robin. Don't miss her story. It's wonderful. It's heartwarming. You're going to love it and be so glad that you came. Please tell your friends and your family. Let them know anybody that you know who loves audio podcasts, who loves stories, who's a supporter of literature. Please let them know and tell your author friends. We are always accepting submissions. We're accepting submissions for season four. So send us send us your stories and send your um, send. Uh, be sure to advertise us to your friends that you know who write short stories. All right, high five, everyone! Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And thank you for letting us be goofy sometimes because there's no way out of that. It's just going to happen. Yeah, always, always. Always. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story. Throw it out the door Cause no one reads short stories Funny, sad, or gory No one reads short stories anymore Yes, no one reads short stories